Welcome everyone to the EBA webinar podcast series. Uh, Aaron Smith and Nancy Bakeman with the Energy and Environmental Building Alliance here. And we're really excited to have Jonah Sheen with WaterSense. We also learned that he grew up here in Minneapolis, uh, which is fantastic. So we're commiserating about the cold months coming up. Uh, many of you recall at our EBA summit um, just a couple weeks ago, our main focus was water efficiency, and this has become a really critical issue. Jonah, I think I was um, uh, proctoring a session, and we t we were talking about how much carbon impact just comes from water movement, and I had some data that it was maybe three, four percent. You're like, no, it's what, what was the number? Like eight, ten percent? Well, we're, we're going to get into that. It's actually yeah. not super clear. So yeah, we'll yeah. We'll, we'll get so, into the details. I think this is a really topical conversation. Uh, we're really pleased to have you here, Jonah. We'll take questions in the Q&A section uh, of today's uh, uh, Teams environment. You could also put them in the chat. I'll present those to Jonah throughout, but hopefully you have some questions that we can also save some for the end. With that being said, Jonah, welcome. We're glad to have you here today. Thank, thank, thanks so much. Um, the screen sharing okay? Everyone can see my slides? Looks great. All right. Um, so like Aaron said, and again, appreciate you having me here. Uh, we're going to talk about water and energy and carbon uh, today. And we know that there's a lot of energy in, in water. It takes energy to move it, to treat it, to extract it, to pump it, to heat it. But the, the question really is how much. Uh, and, you know, as Aaron said, a couple of weeks ago in, in Salt Lake City, you know, he, he I think pegged at like three or four, three or four percent. Um, and uh, of course, kind of stuck my nose into it and made a face at him, justifiably said, oh, well, you tell me what it, what it is. And like I said, the, the truth is we don't actually know exactly. Uh, if I were to give you an executive summary of all the data out there, it would be to say that it's a lot. We know that it's a lot. Um, it's certainly enough that we really can't have any serious discussions about decarbonizing the building industry without addressing it. Because of course, at the end of the day, our homes aren't worth aren't a whole lot of good if we can't deliver water to them. So I put up some estimates on here. Um, again, there's this there's this study out there that says about 20% of electricity in California uh, is consumed by by pumping, heating, and treating water. Um, there's some additional uh, estimates that uh, peg total energy use in the U.S. for water at about 500 terawatt hours uh, a year. That's about 14% of total consumption of electricity in, in for 2020. There's other estimates, and maybe this is the one that, um, that, that Aaron was referring to. There's an estimate out there that says the water sector in general accounts for 4% uh, of global electricity so what, consumption. So what you're saying, Jonah, is I wasn't totally wrong, but I also wasn't right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, fair, that's a fair way to put it. You certainly weren't completely wrong. Right. Um, but this is, I think, one of the challenges when we talk about this issue, Aaron, right, is that mm -hmm. we tend to talk about it at this really high level. And yeah, there's, like I said, we, we know there's a lot of energy and that's great. We know there's a lot of carbon because of that. And that's that's good to know as well. But to really make it sort of actionable, I think we need to get to maybe sort of more detailed level and a more granular understanding. So hopefully that's what we can talk about about, about today. The other thing that we're not going to dig into a whole bunch, but I do want to acknowledge is that the opposite is also true, right? That we we rely on water to generate electricity as well. Um, and if you if you just look at sort of total withdrawals, so total withdrawals in the U.S. based on uh, 2015 data, the most recent year we had complete 
water withdrawal data for from the USGS. Um, uh, we withdraw about 322 billion gallons of water a day. And yeah, the single largest use of that is for thermoelectric generation, right? We're, we're using it, we're taking it, we're boiling it, we're using it to spin turbines and generate, generate electricity. So it's a huge part of our water use profile is also the water that goes into our energy. That's 100% true. What I do sometimes see people doing, which is at best misleading, is looking is looking at uh, data like this and saying, okay, well, if we do the math on this, that means that there's about 13 gallons per kilowatt hour generated in the US. So if I save, uh, say, a kilowatt hour of energy, that means I'm also saving 13 gallons of, uh, of water. Hmm. And that's not true. Uh, and the reason it's not true is that this is withdrawals, not consumptive use. Those are different things. When we withdraw power, uh, water for thermoelectric power, uh, we actually get most of that water back. It gets it gets taken out, it gets used. Some of it's going to evaporate, it's going to be used for cooling and things like that. But a lot of it's going to get treated, uh, cooled down, and released back into the water supply in more or less the same place that it that it came from. And the the burden of that is all going to be felt sort of by private generate by private electric generation. So in other words, you're paying for that when you pay your electric bill. It kind of goes into the lo into the loaded cost. Um, so again, you know, to say that uh, that saving a kilowatt hour of, uh, of of energy saves 13 gallons of water is, at the very best case, a, a little misleading. The other connection between water and energy that that doesn't come out in this, because again, it, this is withdrawal, so only water that we've actually taken out of the system, uh, is hydroelectric. Uh, dams, which is actually one of the more consumptive uses uses of water in the electric uh, uh, supply, uh, and that's just because when you when you take water and you spread it out and increase the surface area, you really increase the evaporate the evaporation. Again, that doesn't uh, present itself here because we're not actually withdrawing that water uh, from the from the reservoirs. It's just uh, evaporating naturally after we've spread it out and increased the surface area quite a bit. But again, that is that is sort of a part uh, a part of the puzzle. And increasingly, especially out west, if you I'm sure everyone read the like 500 page impact assessment that Department of Interior Interior released on the Colorado River um, earlier this year. But one of the sort of situations that uh, that they pointed out and considered and and almost put forward as such a dire situation that it couldn't really possibly be considered a, a viable option was the idea that our dams would go to Deadpool. Um, our reservoirs would go to Deadpool and the place where our, uh, our dams would no longer be able to generate electricity. So like I said, increasingly it's becoming an important part of our water man management strategy, especially out West. But what we're really gonna focus on today is the energy that goes into delivering water. And again, unlike, uh, sorry, and you have a clarifying question? No, sir. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, unlike the water that's withdrawn for thermoelectric generation, which we largely get back, the energy that we use to deliver water and to treat it and, and get it to where we need it to be is gone once we, once we use it. So let's take a little bit of a more granular look at uh, at what uh, sort of what makes up the total profile. Um, from start to finish, the water that we're going to use to you know, support our homes, support our communities, support our businesses starts with extraction. Uh, and all of these values are hugely variable. So 
are you getting that water from uh, from groundwater? Is it surface water? Where's it coming from and what do we have to do to take it out of its source? Then it's usually not exactly where we need it to be. If it is, that's great. Um, and certainly a lot of you probably live in communities where there's a, uh, a water treatment plant that's right next to a river or something, or something of the sort or sitting right on top of a well field. There's a reason that we do that. It's because that makes it very easy to convey, to, to move the water from the source to the treatment plant. Uh, we're lucky to live in a country where the vast majority of us have access to clean water. That's because we, we're going to spend the ener and more energy treating it. And then we're going to distribute it to our homes. For some of the water, say water that we use outside, uh, that's going to be the end of its story, at least as far as its energy profile goes. Not saying that it's the end of its story as far as the water cycle goes. It's going to infiltrate and become groundwater again. It'll run off and become you know, storm water. But we're sort of done putting uh, quantifiable energy into it to support our communities. Uh, other of that water is going to come in and it's going to go down the drain and it's almost going to have a second life of energy profile because we're going to spend energy collecting, pumping and moving it to a wastewater treatment plant where it's going to have more water, uh, more energy associated with it. And then there's also hot water. Of course, we know that there's a tremendous amount of energy that we spend heating water. It's one of the largest end uses of energy in a home. Anything that comes into our home then gets heated uh, is going to have a, an additional profile of, uh, of energy uh, use as associated with it. Um, now, the bad news is that, unfortunately, as far as energy intensity goes, so sort of the, the amount of energy it takes to move a gallon, or, or uh, we actually we think about this, these, these volumes in acre feet of water, um, large volumes of water, an acre foot of water is a foot of water stacked on an acre of land, it's about 325,000. Gallons. So if you think of uh, 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 a football field and a foot of water stacked on top of it, again, horrible unit of measure, but it's what we use. Most of these are actually going up. They're becoming more energy intense. There's one that is going down, and a lot of you can probably guess it if anyone wants to take a take a stab at it. Aaron, you want to take a guess? No, I don't dare anymore. Thank you, okay. though. <laughs> Fair. I, I can. I, I. I have myself to blame for that. But it's heating. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Water heating is actually becoming more efficient. Uh, two reasons. Once again, you'll you'll probably guess one of them, which is that we're we're getting more efficient water heaters uh, out. You know, so we're getting heat pumps and uh, uh, higher um, uh, uh, UEF devices out. They do a better job of uh, of heating water more efficiently. The other reason that water heating is going down is, uh, nationally speaking, our population keeps moving to warmer climates, and we spend less energy heating water in the, that part of the country. So we've got those two factors that are actually, um, again, looking at the national level, mean that we're spending fewer kilowatt hours heating uh, 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 water on a marginal basis than we used to. Otherwise, like I said, these are all getting more intense. A lot of that's because the low-hanging fruit is gone. Right. So that that water source that was right next to where you needed the water, it's sort of already it's probably already been tapped. It's it's already been uh, sort of harvested to its maximum capacity. So now you're going to deeper wells, right? deeper groundwater. It takes more energy to pump from a uh, from a, a, a deeper um, well than it does from a, from a shallow one. We can go further away. But again, that's going to increase the conveyance, increase the amount of energy we have to spend to get it where we need it to be. 
that also has an impact on quality. Um, usually people are going to go, communities are going to go to high quality uh, sources of water first. They require less treatment. Lower quality sources require more treatment, so that means more energy. Communities are expanding. That's one of the challenges we face with infrastructure and water resources, so we have to pump it further away. And then on the wastewater side, uh, there's um, uh, many communities are having to deal with, uh, with um, compliance uh, enforcement issues from some crazy agency out there that is asking them to do a better job increasing the cleanliness of water after it leaves the wastewater treatment plant. So that's a good thing because hopefully most of us are in favor of having clean water uh, in, our, in, our, in our water systems, in our lakes, in our rivers, in our groundwater, but it does increase the amount of, amount of energy. So not only is this sort of a big issue, but it's something that's becoming more of an issue as time goes on because these values tend to be going up. Um, so here's a here's a case study. Like I said, I think it's great to talk about these things. I'm not trying to belittle anyone to talk about them at this really high level, but I want to talk about it at a very detailed level. So I'm going to share a case study that we've done recently with our friends at uh, KB Home. This is a community in uh, Southern California. It's 219 uh, water sense labeled homes. Uh, it's in Menifee, California. These homes are also, by the way, Energy Star certified and Zero Energy Ready and Indo and Indo Air Plus. Um, but this is my webinar, so we're going to highlight the fact that they're water sense labeled. That's how it's going to be. Um, it is a microgrid uh, community, so this is something that's important to, to know about it. It has community electric storage as well as as well as uh, electric storage on site in each of the homes. It also has very efficient water heaters, not just heat pumps but really sort of top of the line as, as far as uh, efficiency goes, what, uh, heat pump water heaters with a UEF of 4.07. So this is an extremely, uh, this is not only a water efficient community, but an extremely energy and carbon uh, efficient community. And one of the things I think that's interesting, to, that why it's interesting to highlight this community is despite all of the great technology that's gone in to trying to make it carbon neutral, well, how carbon neutral is it if we're relying on sort of the dirty grid to supply it with water? I would argue not so much. We'll dig into the actual numbers. Beyond that, uh, the homes here, pretty typical looking homes. They're, on average, they're, uh, they're four bedrooms, a uh, little over uh, almost 2,300 square feet, 6,800 square foot lots, which um, is actually fairly large uh, compared to a lot of what we see a lot of, a lot of the times these, these days. And we estimate that these homes will use about 87,000 gallons of water a year each. They have an average uh, HERS H2O score of uh, 59, which puts them at about 61,000 gallons be below the reference home. So below what we would expect uh, code built homes to use. So again, very water efficient community, very energy efficient uh, community that's actually taken a lot of steps to address its, its, car its carbon impact. Um, and now, here, if we look at sort of the the energy that's associated just associated with water, well, reference the reference homes, so code built homes, we'd expect that this community, 219 homes, uh, to use a little over 750,000 kilowatt hours per year. So again, 219 homes, decent sized community. Of course, we're operating on the scale of you know thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of homes that we're building uh, every every year in this country. So you can extrapolate those that impact. Quite a, quite a bit uh, of what a typical use profile would be. And again, I've broken this down 
uh, into the energy associated with, with each of those phases. Versus the, the rated homes, so the homes that have uh, actually been built, only about 223,000 kilowatt hours uh, of, of energy a year. And again, broken down for each, for each of the phases, uh, as you see. And again, we'll dig into exactly how we calculate this and exactly what's creating this impact. If you prefer to look at it uh, in terms of carbon, for the reference home, for the code-built homes, we would be at over 400,000 uh, pounds of carbon uh, per year, whereas the rated homes are down here under 70,000 kilowatt hours uh, per year. And again, that's because of all of that great uh, energy efficiency technology, all of that great water savings that we've put into the, into the homes to make them different than the code-built homes. So tremendous, uh, tremendous water savings, tremendous en energy savings, and tremendous car uh, carbon savings, even though the impact on, uh, again, the, on the grid, the energy demand and the carbon generated is still pretty substantial. So let's talk about how we, have, how we get to that estimate and um, how we're actually getting those savings in this community. There's three big pieces of information, right? To answer that question, uh, you know, uh, more uh, definitively of how much energy is in our water, uh, so that we can show that Aaron is in fact 100% wrong and not just sort of wrong. Thanks. Uh, sorry, sorry, I'm just picking on you now at this point. Right. Um, uh, we've got to know sort of three big pieces of data. Uh, again, big groups. One is we need to know what, where's the water come from, right? Um, what kind of what's the mix of sources? Where are we getting it from? Uh, and and when we when you turn on the tap and that gallon of water comes out, where's that water start its life, so to speak? We also need to know what's the what's the energy intensity of those different sources, right? So does it come from under the ground beneath us, or does it come from way the you know way the heck upstate, and we had to pump it all the way all the way down here? And then finally, because we need to know how the water is going to be used, we need to have pretty granular information on what the on, what the water use patterns are going to be in the individual homes. So uh, we're lucky that this home that this home is actually located in California because we're able to access some of this data because of the reporting requirements in California that don't necessarily exist elsewhere in the country. Uh, this home's. Uh, uh, supplied with water by the Eastern Municipal Water District. And in California, every water district, every utility of a certain size has to publicly release a water management plan, which tells you exactly what sources of water they're using to supply their, supply their customers. So we, we know what the mix of water resources are in this instance. We're also lucky that in California, the California Public Utilities Commission, the PUC, actually publishes data they collect on the source energy intensity of those different water sources. And not only do they uh, publish data on the energy intensity, but they do it on a geographically specific way. So if you're taking water from the Colorado, Colorado River Aqueduct, it has a different energy signature if you're delivering it to Menifee, as opposed to if you're delivering it to the Imperial Valley. Um, we have that data and we, again, we have pretty granular information on the energy that's put in to those different phases of, uh, uh, of the water cycle, of the wa uh, water supply cycle because of it. And then finally, because these are water sense labeled homes uh, and they've gone through the HERS H H2O rating, we get a lot of really, really detailed information on how we think the homes are going to use water from ResNet uh, as one of our, our home certification organizations who certifies homes 
uh, on, beha on behalf of WaterSense. So we've got these th sort of three big pieces of data available to us, and we can start to put this puzzle together and really answer that question of how much energy does go into the water, uh, the water use here. The question is, how do we start putting the puzzle together, right? We, we've established we've got these sort of data sources. Um, how do we start digging into them? And if we look at, we'll start with, uh, with the water sources. So this is what you'll find if you look at uh, Eastern Municipal Water District and find out where the water comes from. For Southern California, this is pretty typical to have uh, a variety of different water, resource, water sources. A lot of communities elsewhere, well, they may only use one or two. Um, and that would be typical of them. So this is very, this is highly variable. We are going to make an assumption here, uh, which is that um, uh, the water is proportional when it comes when it comes out. Now, if we went to Eastern Municipal on the operational side, and we asked them and said, "Hey, well, you know, you know, what 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 do you think the you know, what water we're we using here?" They might say, "Well, you know, like we don't really have any intersystem connectivity between where we're desalinating brackish water." And where these homes are, so you're probably not using any of the any of that. Again, uh, we're not going to go to that quite that level of detail. We're still going to get a pretty specific estimate, um, assuming that uh, the water is proportionally distributed. The other thing that we that we will do is you'll notice, like, well, you know, over half the water is just sort of this category of water purchased from Met. Uh, the Met is the Metropolitan Water District. Uh, they're an importer and wholesaler of water. And they also have lots of different water sources. So it's not really helpful to know that you purchased water from the Met. <clears throat> we'll go ahead and we'll break that out based on the sources we know the Met has, because of course they also have a water management plan that we can access. And now we've got sort of all sorts of different water resources uh, in place. So when we, when we turn on the tap and a gallon of water comes out, it's got little pieces from all these different um, uh, sources, sources, sources in it some of which are quite local, some of which are from hundreds of, mile, of miles away. And we can factor all of that in to, uh, to the energy intensity that your typical gallon of water is gonna have. Um, I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna flash some numbers at you. Uh, it's, not, it's really um, just to show you the level of detail. I'm not expecting you to retain uh, all, all of these, but we can now go to the PUC data, to the, uh, to the um, energy intensity data, and we can say, again, because of the location of these homes in Menifee, what is the energy, energy intensity uh, on a per acre foot basis, so per uh, 325,000 gallons of water delivered for each of these phases from each of these sources? Um, as you might imagine, uh, Colorado River uh, aqueduct uh, brings water uh, uh, excuse me, uh, east to west from the Colorado River to this part to this part of the state, it has a very high intensity for extraction and conveyance because we have to move the water up over mountains and move it quite a, uh, quite a ways. Same with the state water project. Uh, the state water project mostly brings water north to south uh, across the state. This is probably something you're familiar with, right? This concept that we're we're providing, you know, we're supporting communities in the southwest by moving water along range. And certainly that has a, an impact on energy. Well, here are the numbers to actually show you that, yes, in fact, that is happening. When you see numbers look really similar, that's just because um, the quality is quite uh, quite similar. And so in the, the example, you see all these you know, uh, sources that have 205.3 uh, kilowatt hours per acre foot of water for treatment. 
that's just because the quality is quite quite similar and they're going to the same place and having the same type of treatment done, done to them. Um, so again, you know, fresh water is uh, has quite a low uh, value for uh, for treatment. Things like recycled water or brackish water that needs to be um, desalinated, that has quite a higher intensity uh, for treatment, even though its uh, uh, intensity for extraction and conveyance might be quite a bit lower since it's inherently happening where you need it to be. Uh, distribution, once it kind of all gets mixed together, it more or less, you know, you're, we're, you know we're, we're taking it to the same homes. So it's pretty, um, pretty uniform. Uh, the exception being uh, recycled water, and I'll, I'll give people a chance to guess if they know why why recycled water has a higher distribution energy intensity than other sources. Anyone want to take a stab at it? It's it's because it's mostly going uphill. Um, communities just sort of uh, historically and naturally, uh, yeah, more pumping. Yeah, you got it right. Don for the win. Pumping. What's that? Don for the win. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you nailed it. Um, yeah, yeah we, we usually put treatment plants uphill, put wastewater treatment downhill so that we can use gravity to minimize these, these this energy intensity. When we're treating wastewater and bringing it back to, communi uh, to communities, we've got to go the opposite direction. Once it all gets mixed together as wastewater, it's all, the, it's all sort of the same. It's going to the same treatment plant, so flat 723 kilowatt hours per acre foot uh, for that. So now we know uh, where our water is coming from, and we know how much energy is in uh, all of those different sources for each phase. Um, and so we'll simply weight them, right? So if we've got, you know, we'll, we'll see 10% uh, of our water, I'm making that number up, I don't remember what the exact number was, came from the Colorado River, uh, River Aqueduct, then we'll assume that 10% of our water has the energy signature for each phase that we associated with the Colorado Colorado River Aqueduct. And these are the numbers that we get from that, right? So um, we're gonna spend uh, a little over 1300 kilowatt hours per acre, per acre foot extracting and delivering the water to the community as a whole. Um, again, that's somewhat unique to where we're, where we're located, Southern California. Um, a lot of communities don't have to, you know, bring water from quite as far away as we are here. Um, but it is the case in, Men in Menifee, so uh, quite high energy intensity for extraction and conveyance. Uh, treatment uh, of 284 kilowatt hours per acre foot. Again, um, you know, distributing pretty flat, 160, 163. Um, and then uh, uh, me, um, uh, collecting wastewater and, and treating wastewater at the wastewater treatment plant. Heating, because remember these are these are those very very efficient uh, heat pump uh, water heaters. So this value, even though it's quite high compared to the rest of these, is way way lower than it would be with a conventional technology. Um, so we're actually really saving uh, a lot. Um, uh, then you know, a lot. Uh, uh, excuse me. We're actually in some ways we're saving less because we're not spending as much energy uh, on it. We would we would be reducing it more with water use reduction. Otherwise, but again, that value on a kilowatt hour per acre foot basis, a lot, a lot lower than it would have been otherwise. Um, so now we've sort of got our value, our weighted values for each uh, each phase of the water delivery process. Um, we're going to break them up a little bit, right? As I as we talked about before, 
uh, some water, like outdoor water use, we're going to deliver it. We're going to extract it, convey it, treat it, deliver it to our homes. But that's going to be the end of the story as far as its energy signature goes. So it's uh, sort of the, the lowest, um, uh, has the lowest value for embedded energy because we're never going to treat it as wastewater. We're never going to heat it up. Cold water that we use inside the home, uh, so we'll just sort of classify this as uh, indoor cold water use, uh, is a little bit higher because we do have that added um, impact of wastewater treatment. And of course, hot water um, that, uh, that's, um, that's been brought into the home, delivered, heated up, and then put down the drain for it to create wastewater is going to have the highest. I also put here what we would consider sort of very conservative national averages, just so you can see sort of how variable um, uh, th th this is. Because of all those factors we talked about, because of all the different sources and how far away a lot of them are, um, this community is gonna be way high on supply and, and, uh, and wastewater, right? So we're significantly higher on these values um, compared to the, again, what we would consider a relatively conservative national average but way lower on water that's been heated. And that's again, not only because compared to the national average, this community is in quite a warm climate, doesn't have to heat water up quite as much, also doesn't have to, um, uh, people aren't going to use quite as much hot water in the mix of hot and cold at the, at the fixtures. And of course, because we have these super efficient um, uh, water heat pump water heaters, which are not the standard, uh, unfortunately, out in the stock right, stock right now. So again, just to show you how variable this much more specific estimate is from what we would consider national averages. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we have to sort of ask this question now, well, how are these homes going to use water? And because they're water sense labeled, because they've got the HERS H2O rating, we're able to craft um, a pretty granular uh, picture of how we expect the, how we expect uh, the reference homes, code-built homes, would have used water versus how the actual homes, the rated homes, use water. You see the substantial energy savings, excuse me, water savings that um, they were able to achieve uh, from them. Uh, and you actually, you also notice that the proportions, right, the end uses uh, as, a, as a percentages actually remain relatively constant. That's just a, uh, tells us that the, the savings is relatively evenly distributed across indoor and outdoor use and across the various indoor um, end uses. It's lower overall, of course, but we're using a lot less a lot less water. We're just still using it in the same sort of proportionality. We can simplify this a little bit uh, though um, and really just break it down to those three big categories. Um, so looking at outdoor water use, cold water use, and hot water use, and you can see the reduction in each of these sort of broad categories of water use. Um, I should also note, you know, just that there's some other data that we use on simplifying things uh, a little bit. Um, we do need to know not just the energy intensity, but also the carbon intensity of that energy. Um, we use the, the EPA, my, my agency uh, has a tool called the eGrid tool, um, which similar to what we're doing for, uh, for the mix of water sources, has a similar approach and they uh, have regionally specific um, carbon intensities for energy that's saved or energy that's generated on the um, uh, electric grid, uh, on the electricity grid. Um, we also, sorry, missing something here. Uh, 
go back. Uh, as I mentioned before, we do need to know um, the mix of the uh, the temperature uh, of incoming water, and we get that from the Hearst H2O rating. That in, uh, impacts the mix of hot and cold. Uh, people like to shower around 105 degrees. Um, the the variability there is actually not huge. People get really defensive about this, right? They, you know, some of you probably like really hot showers. Some of you probably like really cold showers. And for whatever reason, that seems to be like a core part of people's self identity. Um, you know, if you like hot showers, that means you shower at like 106. And if you like cold showers, that means you shower at like 103. The the spread isn't huge because the range of what human being it's comfortable to a human being isn't all that all that huge. What it does, what is big is the the um, uh, the percent of hot water that you have to mix into that. So uh, you know, Aaron and, and Nancy living in Minnesota in the winter, their mix of hot uh, of hot water uh, in order to get to that 105 is going to be significantly greater than it is at any time of year for these for these homes in um, uh, in Southern California. And then that will also uh, impact the temperature rise. So it's really cold outside. Water's going to come into the home a lot colder. That means the water heat is going to have to work a lot, a lot harder. So we need that information. Um, obviously, we do need the efficiency of the water heater. We're just getting that from the spec. And then we're making some assumptions too. Um, number one, we're making, uh, we're kind of being generous to the microgrid. And we're going to assume that all of the electricity used on site is provided by renewables and by the micro microgrid, and it's carbon neutral. Um, that's certainly not the case right now uh, because the community is still being built 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 out. Will it be the case in the future? That sort of remains to be seen. Uh, we're going to assume that it is to make sure that we're not overstating the carbon savings. Um, and then, as, as I mentioned before, we're also going to assume that all water supplied is proportionally mixed based on system averages. Might not be the case if we really dug into it um, and looked at an operational level, but still a pretty detailed estimate that we're that we're crafting. Um, and once again, going to throw a whole bunch of numbers at you. Uh, again, I don't expect you to absorb them all, but just to show you the um, the level of detail that we're able to um, uh, to to collect and break this down. Uh, significant energy savings, significant car carbon savings that we that we saw before. The other reason that it's important to be able to break this down phase by phase is that if we want to look at reducing water consumption as a tool to helping us save energy and address carbon, we need to know where it's happening. Because remember, extraction and conveyance is frequently happening hundreds of miles away from these homes, right? And that's why the energy savings has the impact on carbon that it does. Because even though this community has its super green sustainable microgrid, we're not pulling off that energy to extract and convey this water. We're pulling off the sort of quote unquote conventional dirty grid. Um, so we're kind of putting them all together for the savings to show the impact, but certainly um, at a, you know, when, we, when we talk about, well, where are we gonna save this energy and how do we impact it, how do we affect it? It's important to know where it's coming from and that we can do it again on a phase by phase basis and really dig into where the savings is happening. Um, I also thought this would be interesting. So it's, you know, you can't totally separate out the savings, right? So one of the things um, when I've, uh, um, that KB wanted to know, our partner KB Home, who built the homes when I first shared this analysis with them, is they want to know, well, how much of the savings is coming from the microgrid versus the heat pump water heaters versus the, the fact that their water sense labeled? And it's, it's kind of a theoretical, I mean, it's a 
almost a philosophical question because, well, what, what comes first? Do we reduce the water use first or do we make the water heating more efficient first? Um, you, you can't totally separate those, those things, but I, I put the savings up comparing these sort of three strategies. So the microgrid, the heat pump water heater and the water efficiency. And if we were to just look at the impact they'd have from the reference, so from sort of standard typical code built construction, uh, and maybe this is the order you'd, you'd pick them at in terms of carbon savings, but the microgrid, of course that doesn't actually save any electricity, but it does save a lot of carbon because we're still using the same amount of electricity. We're just pulling it off of a carbon neutral source. Um, so no, no energy savings, but substantial carbon savings. The heat pump water heaters, uh, again, if we were to put those compared to the reference, so um, pull off the dirty grid, use uh, code built a uh, code built home amount of water and do nothing else but change the water heaters to be super efficient heat pumps. Um, we get substantial energy savings and substantial and substantial carbon savings, which is great. And then finally, water efficiency. If we were to do nothing else, just make these homes water sense label, just um, uh, make them uh, use water more efficiently, pull off the dirty grid, use code built um, uh, water heaters. We'd be looking at about 223,000, almost 224,000 kilowatt hours per year and 120,000 um, pounds of carbon. So again, maybe that's sort of the order we'd expect them to be in. But I'd also ask the question, well, how much did each of these solutions cost? Um, because the truth is we do, you know, we have limited resources in this country and we have a lot of problems that compete for those, for those resources. I promise you that water efficiency is uh, cost less than half the cost of these heat pump water heaters by a lot, a lot less, right? So it really gets at this uh, this point that if we're trying to save energy, well, water efficiency is actually a really cost-effective way to do that. Mm. Um, and actually, we've seen this before. Uh, so uh, not this past drought we just went through, but the 2015-2016 the drought. Um, uh, Governor Davis, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, had this executive order. He said, okay, everybody cut water use because we need you to do it. No choice at this point. You got to do it. Um, and most of the water districts responded and they did a good job, good, good job doing it. My friends at UC Davis took all that information, added it up and they said, hey, guess what? Like all of these, uh, all of the, this water saving actually saved a lot of energy. In fact, what they found was that it, it saved slightly more energy than all of the state's energy efficiency programs combined. Wow. And remind you, this is California, right? This is not like yeah. a state that's not known for investing in energy efficiency. But what I think is even more striking is look at the dollars they spent on it. Even in this really sort of what was, unfortunately, this is sort of becoming one of those things, right? It's like, it's like a once in a lifetime drought that seems to happen every five years. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but man, like we, um, uh, you know, you know, uh, the, the money that we spent on the energy efficiency programs, we saved about 2.7 kilowatt hours per dollar spent uh, on those. And I have a feeling that would be pretty comparable if we looked at it uh, nationally of what our energy efficiency programs spend and the return they get in terms of energy savings. We got 10.3 kilowatt hours saved per dollar spent on water savings. And uh, again, it really just underscores this, this program that, uh, I, you know, at this, this point that we've seen it again and again, 
water efficiency really is one of the more cost effective tools we have for energy efficiency. And if, if that doesn't, you know, again, underscore the point that, that I was making and that Aaron was making, that there's a lot of energy in water. And yes, we can save energy by, sa by, sa by saving water, then I, I don't know what does. Um, so, you know, we're starting to see people look at this uh, a little bit more. I pulled um, the ESG reports this, or the sustainability reports from a, a couple of our partners uh, recently. This is KB Home, who we just talked about on the right. Uh, and Kohler, who, um, as, many, as many of you probably know, is a, a large uh, plumbing ma plumbing manufacturer, and they both talk about this 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 uh, this, um, this this issue of yes, we've you know our participation in the Water Sense program and everything we've done to save water, but hey, this has also saved a bunch of energy. Um, they've both used a tool that we have. So if you're if you're a Water Sense partner, this this is available to you. Um, we call it the Partner Savings Calculator because we did it last year for the first time right around the time that people started to sour on the term ESG. So uh, we didn't want to put ESG in the title, uh, but it's pretty simple to use. Um, on the back end though, there's a lot of complexity. There's, there's a lot of data. We pull uh, a lot of the nuts and bolts out of this, out of uh, the WaterSense National Water Savings uh, Model, which is what we use uh, when, when, you, when, you, when you see me or someone else from WaterSense talk and we talk about, hey, like the program saved, all of these like you know trillions of gallons of water and all this energy and all this money this this model is what we use and we invest in it really heavily in water sense because we think it's important to have those numbers and have that and have that feedback we we write peer reviewed papers on it uh, it's been the subject of a of a you know we have an internal watchdog um, at EPA as most um, as most government agencies do the inspector general they've investigated us for this um, we had the most glowing investigation uh, results that you've ever seen from an inspector general uh, report. They just not only could they not find anything wrong with it, that one of their main one of their one of their main recommendations was that other programs should look to emulate what we had done uh, with the national water sa water savings model. And we update it every year, right? So that's the plan with the with the savings calculator as well. That we'll update it year by year. Um, it works in a couple of modules. This is for if, just in case we have any manufacturers or retailers um, on the call. Uh, so this is what the, the module will look like. Again, just very simple. Tell us the uh, the number of products that you've uh, labeled and shipped on a year by year basis. Uh, for builders, we 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 do want to know it broken down on state because of course we we you know there's the huge uh, climate um, uh, factor uh, involved. Also, what, what a lot of our builder partners tell us is that they want to be able to quantify, um, you know, maybe you're a builder who uh, has most of their divisions certifying homes to water sense, but you haven't gone sort of, you know, all the way in all of the divisions, but those divisions are still using water sense labeled plumbing products. Um, that's fine. We'll help you uh, quantify those as well. And then we'll give you the results in gallons, in energy, in tons of carbon. Uh, and in um, and in USD to really give you the full picture and the full impact. Now, that being said, um, as I mentioned, because these are national, uh, you know, we we're, we are regionalizing a lot of the estimates, but largely speaking, these are national estimates. I think they're tremendous underestimates. Um, we we do that because we um, you know we obviously want to make sure that the numbers are unassailable, so to speak. We don't want anyone. Um, uh, coming at coming at our partners and saying, "Hey, this is an overstatement," 
it's certainly what a lot we've only done this for a year, right? So this is just the second year. And and Aaron, I think I think Gene had mentioned this in that in that session. This is the tool he was talking about. That's right. Um uh but what a lot of our partners tell us is what they really like is that it's easy to defend these numbers because it does come from an EPA tool. So, mm -hmm. you know, builders have pretty uh, litigious legal departments uh, a lot of the time, um, you know, uh, as do large manufacturers, uh, you know, when they come and they say, well, where'd you get these numbers? You can just sort of say, well, you know, we just put our data into the tool, into the tool. This is what EPA said. So we want to stay on that conservative side, but I, I just put this comparison up and this is, um, uh, this analysis that I just went through on the top, which is yeah, much more granular and much more detailed, um, uh, and what you'd get if you just put 219 water sense labeled homes into California on the bottom line. So pretty close, uh, you know, a little bit closer in terms of water. Um, you know, again, the tool, we assume that you're at the, the minimum 30%. Uh, to be a water sense labeled home, you have to be 30% better than code. Uh, these homes were about 40% just because of how the modeling worked out. So maybe the, this number is actually fairly consistent. But you see how sort of much we underestimated the energy and the carbon savings uh, in, in, in this instance. So like I said, I put that up to, to show you just sort of how conservative I think the estimates are, but also, you know, by way of discussion, um, because hopefully we have a lot, you know, hopefully partners on the call today. Um, this tool has a Goldilocks problem. Uh, I can I can put more detail into it. You know, my staff and I and my, our team can put more detail into the tool, but then you're going to have to enter a lot more information. Mm. And what's the trade off there? Right. Um, just about every every builder I've ever met would like more detail on the outputs, but they don't want to put any more detail in on the inputs. Um, that that makes you pretty normal, but it's a little bit hard to to do both of those things at the same time. So. I was shooting for 45 minutes. I think I was pretty close to on the uh, on the nose so that we have some yeah. time for questions. Great. Uh, Jonah, I think the first question is, so how do we think about water? Is it operational carbon or is it embodied carbon? Um, to me, this to me, this is all operational, right? Yeah. Because this is, right. yeah, I mean, this is the impact that's going to happen um, as uh, as people are in the homes living there uh, you know, turn that off, uh, living there, going about their daily business, just living their lives, right? I mean, this mm -hmm. is the, distinctly the operational right. phase of the home. Um, right. So that, that's right. how I view it. I think initially when I thought about operational carbon, I was thinking, just get rid of all the fuel burning sources in the house and you're good to go. But now you've introduced this new category of operational carbon that we need to think about. Right. So interesting. Yeah. The other question that came up was the desalinization number actually seemed like it was lower than the wastewater treatment number. If that is indeed the case, why are we not building more desalinization plants? Because I've always heard, oh, desal is so incredibly energy intensive that you don't even want to do it. Yeah. So uh, one, and let's let's clarify that the desal they're doing here is brackish water and not seawater. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, with, with, with desalination, the saltier the water, the more energy you're going to have spend, uh, right. uh, spent, spent to do it. So have you, it's not have you quite. Run, have you run numbers yet? I know um, we had a big desal plant in Redondo Beach, California. It's not close to the community that you looked at, but what is the, 
if we had a true seawater desalinization plant, where does that fall on the on the spectrum? Yeah. Well, and and I wasn't going to point out, Aaron, you know, even with this uh, this brackish water okay. um, that's being desalinated, you got to look at the treatment, right? That's okay, where the, it's not just the extraction convenience. Yeah, um, because that's not so much greater than sort of like a, another, um, uh, you know, local local source. Um, mm. But it's the treatment that's going to get you on the energy intensity. But again, you know, still not bad, right? When we add it all up, this is actually this still puts. Um, desalinated uh quite a bit um uh lower all in than say like the state water project um because it's coming it's coming so far um i haven't looked uh, and i haven't had this you know we've done this type of analysis on a few different communities in california um Mm -hmm. we just haven't had the opportunity to do it in a district that does get um you know like water from uh you know like carlsbad or uh one of the one of the uh, seawater desalination projects that's um that's happening it'd be a good thing to look at uh, i i have a feeling what you'd see is that this treatment number would be way way higher okay um and again i mean and that and that's something that comes up time and time again when we talk about water supply and planning you want the water we'll get you the water uh you're mm-hmm. not going to like what it costs um, right and a big part of that cost discussion is the energy that's right well, it's incredible to me that in your numbers, it's almost one pound of CO2 for one gallon of water. It, it's close. It's getting up there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's it's significant. It's significant. So, Jonah, I want to thank you for opening your eyes to this. I want to congratulate you and the EPA on an incredible new tool. Uh, I don't know if you want to put that slide back up on where to go if people want to download the tool. So I think that's... Uh, so That's I don't. Clue. So yeah, the one if if you really want to see it, um, the well, maybe the, maybe just your contact information on the last. Yeah, um, page. we 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 make it a, a partner tool. We put it on our partner site, um, yeah. which you know not everyone inherently has uh, um, has access to. If yeah. you're not a partner and you're eligible to be a partner, be a WaterSense partner. It doesn't cost anything. It's it's free. Um, we'd, we'd love to have you, and then you'd have access to the tool. If you really want to see it and you're and you're not a partner, then shoot me an email. Um, I can I can probably get you a copy. It's not you know we're not trying to keep it a secret. Um, it's just that how we distribute it is through our partner site. But pretty low hurdle. We everybody should be thinking about being a WaterSense partner. It's great like great to tool, so. great tool and resource. Jonah, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks, Ann. I appreciate you having me. You bet.